Hi, I'm Kate Montague. And I'm Jess Binneth. And this is the Audiocraft Podcast, a series of recordings from our 2017 conference. This session is a producer profile with Gina McEwen. Gina is a senior content producer and journalist at SBS, and her work's won a bunch of awards, including two Walkleys and a Webby. She's worked across TV, radio, and online. And in this one, she's in conversation with you, Jess. So why did you want to speak to Gina? Well, I feel pretty attached to audio. When I think of a story, my first thought is like, how is this going to sound? But Gina seems to have a different starting point. So she takes an issue or a place or a person and then she's like, how's the best way to tell this story? And often that takes her way beyond radio. So even though she's got her roots in audio, she's doing all this other cool stuff, especially within multimedia storytelling. So I'm really excited to be here today with Gina McEwen. Uh, Gina is probably most well known for her most recent work, which is My Grandmother's Lingo. It's an online interactive audio documentary storytelling project. Is that about right? Sure. Um, But Gina's done a lot of other things to sort of, you know, that have very much um, sort of got her to this point with Mm. this project. And that's what we're sort of going to look at today. So we will get to My Grandmother's Lingo and unpack the making of that. But we're also going to look at some of Gina's experience um, and, you know, sort of look at uh, some of her key learnings and things that she picked up along the way and how that resulted in my grandmother's lingo. Um, So I want to go right back to the start. Uh, This is my favourite question, Um, how you got started in radio. Um, So very briefly, I got got started in community radio because I loved music and wanted to be a music presenter on Triple J. Um, So started basically every community station. I worked at Classical Station 2 MBS at one point. Um, I did Triple R, Ride Regional Radio, done Melbourne Community Radio, eventually landed at FBI doing All the Best. Um, Yeah, which was really sort of where I fell in love with storytelling um, and working with a team and and audio in general. I just, I generally just love radio and love community radio and if you don't do it, you should do it. yeah, it's just a great little sandpit to work with, you know, learning how you work with producers and editors and, um, yeah, making your stuff a lot better, I reckon. And we're going to quickly get into a clip, um, which was your first story, one yeah. of your first stories, or it's this your first the, story? This is the first, yeah, the first story I did. And I think we talked about whether to play, play this or <laughs> not. And I think it's important to play your worst, not worst stuff, I shouldn't say that, but first stuff, because <laughs> like Ira Glass, I think... It's Ira Glass who said it, you know, it's important to just keep doing it and keep doing as much as possible and that's the only way you learn. So I thought I'd play this to show you the beginning. Kids are growing up, my daughter's grown up and moved out, married and got her own family and this is just like my family now. Like, I just love it there. You can be, you know, Prime Minister to garbage collector in here and you're all the same, you're all on the same level. It doesn't matter what rank you have. You're all mixed. You mightn't be mixing on the same table, but within the club, you're all you're all as one. I've got one year to go to get my 40 years, which is an honorary life membership, so I've got plenty of incentive to, to keep coming down here, and I just love coming here every Sunday. Is being part of the icebergs like being married? <laughs> well, my wife thinks I'm married to the icebergs. <laughs> I've held I've, already I've, I've been working down here with the swimming since... Uh, the week after I joined, I started then, that's 50 years ago. And I haven't missed many swings. So that's, um, we did a show around water, and so I really um, was interested in the Bondi icebergs because generally I just think what the, you know, you're doing going swimming in winter, 
in the water. I just to me that was crazy. And I was like, oh, I'd love to go down and talk to those people. Um, and so we played that because when we were talking about this originally, I just like I so clearly remember the first time I did that. It was like put on the headphones and I was out there with someone. We did a buddy system and all the best. And they were like, go out and talk to people. And so I went out and asked someone and um, I could hear like the splash of the water through the headphones and I was just like, oh, this is surreal. You know, it was so cool like to capture that. And that really, um, the thing that I suppose I didn't realise I'd always wanted to do, which was go up and ask people anything I wanted. Um, and then they would talk to me and say it, you know, and just because I had this thing in my hand and I just like, it was just so awesome. Um, and these guys, I remember um, them, I remember the grab before I went back and heard the audio, because that's how much it resonated with me um, the first time, which it, it cut it a little bit at the top, but he was saying how the icebergs was like, um, his wife had died and his kids had left, and so the icebergs was his community. And to me, that was just like, oh, wow, so special, because, you know, he's this older guy, and like, yeah, it was just, he was confessing all this stuff to me, and it was amazing. It was just like this little portal. Um, yeah, so I love I love audio, and I think from that time I really had fallen in love with it. But yeah, that was the beginning, you know, the music's the whole way through, which is something I think you always love to do, to sort of like, you're like, I'll stitch it together, playing music the whole time. And it's just never really, and the music was like kind of not right for that. And um, yeah, it's a couple of learnings, but it's good to learn from that stuff each time, you know. That's he- it was edited as well, so I got feedback from the producers who were working on it. And I think that for me, like learning about structure and stuff like that was really really sort of is um, a really great beginning community radio. And from there, you moved into the ABC. You worked casually across a whole bunch of programs. You worked at RN News Radio, 702, RN Breakfast. Mm. But you then ended up at Life Matters. You did a bit of Triple J as well. But then you ended up with Life Matters and you stayed there for a while. So I'm curious as to, um, you know, like what you you took. That was... was, um, for quite a while. Yeah. So what you took, like how that shaped you as an audio producer and where that kind of took you. Yeah. And I just think an important thing in that, that sounds super condensed, but it's like just asking everyone you can who you know works at the ABC if you want to work there about work, you know. Don't be afraid to pester and email who you know and, and yeah, go for it, I think. Um, so at Life Matters, I just love, I loved Life Matters. I love working on that show because essentially you could justify anything into that brief because it's life. Um, so, like, I did anything from, you know, the health the health minister would do a brief on him to a dog show, um, like, you know, the drama of being at a dog show, um, So, which I did and I really liked that. Um, uh, yeah, so I think from, from that I really learnt how to work really fast at Life Matters because it's a daily program, so you are producing a brief for a presenter, so you have to find the talent, or pitch the story, find the talent, sort it out and do it for them and send it before the end of the day which to me at that time was a really huge ask and, you know, it took me a long while to sort of get polished at that. Um, but, yeah, I think what I learnt from there was basically um, those kind of skills are really important. The pre-interviewing is really important. Um, depends, obviously always depends on the story and things, but generally it's great to do that. Um, so learning how to, like, type and talk on the phone, um, that kind of thing, and, you know, pretend, not pretending that you're listening, you are listening, but also typing, but also saying that you're typing because they can hear that, you know, and just doing a jot down some stuff. But really I think approaching a story like that, what happened was I became um, quite fast at doing that, like, in the sense. So you'd think you'd get the story idea or an, an idea that you had and you'd be like, what are the clear questions that I have about this story before I learn anything about anything about it, talking to the people before they kind of skew my thinking. Be like, because essentially that's the way the listener's going to go into it when the brief, when the um, intro's written. 
So it's going to be like, okay, what are these questions I have? So I jot those down, you know, sort of five key questions and then go into the interview and do it that way and sort of shape it along the way. You know, if you're doing a pre-interview and something they say is like, you know, really moves you, like I asterisk that all the time, I'm like, oh, this is great, it's so good. You know, sort of writing it down like that. And um, so I think it sort of shapes the questions, shapes the brief in that sense if you're doing your pre-interviews. And this includes if you're going to go out and do the interview in a package or whatever because you know the kind of key points you want to hit. Um, and yeah, after that directly, you'd sorry, go sorry I was going to jump in. About those three key points. So I work in long form documentary. The story that I put out this week, I first did the interview in January. So I've had six months mm. to think about it and scaffold it and change things around, but you're on a daily. So I'm curious as to how you get an idea at the beginning of the day, mm. um, and sort of, you know, like figure out what those points are or how you're going to hit those points and how you structure something quickly yeah um I think it's so it's sort of like the ideas you've constantly got to be mining for ideas so if you're doing something else and you come across something in the newspaper or you're you know in social on social whatever you just jot those down all the time you know because they'll come up at some point um but yeah I think it's it's always that thing of where you find a story and you find a story anywhere you just got to be listening for it you know um and if you're curious about something you have another question about that then it'd be like, oh, this might be a good story. And it's really it became quite a weird reflex. So I'd be like, that's a life matters story, you know, like in my any part of my life. I was like, oh. Um, and it took a while to shake that off as well. Um, but, yeah, I think sort of going into the three points thing, it was, I can't remember who told me about it, but it's kind of like, you know, three movements through a story because generally that's like with any storytelling, you know, it's good to have a beginning, middle and end. It's also good to break that you know, sometimes jazz it up and do something completely different. Um, but, yeah, generally, sort of three movements, and they can be like um, – it's hard to use without examples, but I think there's sort of like something to ease into the topic itself or something that can be completely shocking that will grab the listener straight away. The middle bit can sort of be a bit more chunky, you know, get into the sort of detail that's probably a bit dry, maybe because now they've hooked into who the character is at the top. You know, so you're like, I care about this person, you want to know more about the issue. Um, and the end, so and that can also be like kind of really a right turn. You know, it can be something completely different that the listener didn't even expect. If you've started off with something dry and you need to keep them interested, um, and the ending sometimes I say all these things, and it's, uh, someone told me, you know, there are all these rules in radio, but it's really important to break them. So anything I say, you know, it's really important to think about. Okay, that's a cool learning. You know, I'm going to think about that, but also how can I mess that up and make something really different. Um, so I think sort of take that with you. But, yeah, so the ending sometimes I try to look at like a sort of what's a future-facing thing or something to sort of like bookend the story a bit or keep people thinking. Um, these sound really general terms, but, you know, it's always hard out of context. But that's sort of the three movements is kind of what I, I think naturally go for and I think people naturally feel for sometimes in a story, yeah. But, yeah, totally ignore that sometimes and do whatever you want, you know, really mess with the listener sometimes. It's, it's fun, yeah. You've got to get your fun in there somehow. Yeah. Um, and then you took on the Andrew Ollie Scholarship, which is a, uh, a professional development opportunity for young people at the ABC, and it's sort of like a bit of a golden ticket. You can kind of yeah. um, build your year and have access to parts of the building that you don't usually have access to. And while you were doing that, you made a bit of content, which um, – should we play that now? Yeah. Yes. Um, which was sort of – was it your first sort of, you know, move into – more mm. visual-based storytelling, visual audio storytelling. Yeah, because um, by a point at Life Matters, I kind of was – I really love radio, but I was like, I wonder what it's like to work in TV. I wonder what it's like to do the digital, you know, more digital-based stuff. Um, and so part of the Ollie Scholarship was working with the new 
digital storytelling team new at that time in Brisbane. And so I'd never worked with an animator before, but the animator up there, Lucy Faye, and I kind of um, collaborated on this one together during that time. And why did you think that this in particular, like why did this story, why did um, you see animation as being a part of this? Because I think... Because um, I think it was sort of throwing around the idea in the team at the time about solitary confinement. And, um, you know, you sort of, it's one of those things where you hear about it a lot, can be, it's very, um, I think there's a lot of statistics around it that we're looking at and we're like, how could we actually animate this and make this a bit different? Um, also because people are often talking about it in past tense, you know, so if the person who's been in solitary is like, oh, I was in solitary confinement, if you're shooting them on TV, it's a person talking about it and you'd have to use a reenactment or something. So it's like in those situations you think, okay, how could we visually um, do this in an interesting way which will put you right there? So that's sort of where we got to. I think this, this is about three minutes and we'll play the first minute and a half which tells you a lot about the story. Yes, look, my name is Brett Collins. I would have spent uh, probably of the um, ten years I spent in jail in one time, I would have spent, I'd say, probably five years of that um, in solitary confinement. I would um, pace all the time. I'd pace um, for hours uh, from one end, one, two, three, and then turn, always turn um, towards the same uh, point. One, two, three, turn, one, two, three, turn, one, two, three. And so that would be my, my a day in the cell. And then in the yard, I would then I would then run. So I would run, pop, 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 one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, up and down the side. And so, um, so I would um, ensure that at least the things I could control, I would. We will be putting links up as well um, once we podcast this, so all of these links will go online. Um, but we're going to speed through. While you're on the Andrew Ollie scholarship, you're, you're out and about and you're reporting and you meet Angelina Joshua. Yes. Um, so this is the subject of my grandmother's lingo. Um, so I'd, I'm really curious as to how you found her because it wasn't she wasn't the original idea or sort of once you got out there, a new story emerged. But mm. can you tell me about, I guess, how you go about finding stories and how you ended up in the Northern Territory? Yeah. Yeah, really as part of the Ollie Scholarship, wanted to go to remote Australia as well because um, I'm, you know, white chick from Metro Sydney. So I was like, what's the furthest place I could go to, um, you know, find out more about about that? So, yeah, I thought it's, it's an excellent opportunity, obviously, with the scholarship to do that. So before going out there, I think um, I just, you know, like to read kind of as much as possible. So I was really interested in what young people living in remote communities cared about. Um, because I hadn't really heard that much about it. And so I thought, mm, I'm going to, you know, and with life, a lot of experience on Life Matters is we look at a lot of research, pa research papers. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to read as much as possible in that sense about uh, um, remote non-territory. So as part of that, 
um, it came up. There was a research paper, I think, about young women, you know, using in a remote community in Nooka, which is where Angelina's from, who use basketball as a way to communicate and um, hang out. And I was like, oh, that'd be great. Um, and so I contacted the academic who wrote that paper and she was saying, you know, it's really, um, it's pretty tough to, you know, build the trust and everything like that with people in remote communities if you've, um, if you're just going in there like as a drop-in. Um, and so she said, you know, who you should talk to is this, um, girl Angelina. And I was like, oh, great. And she's like, she's really great, um, really loves, loves the chat, so give her a call. Um, and this is three months before I got there. Um, so I gave her a call and yeah, it sort of started from there. She was going to intro me to like two of her mates and we we're going to like record a couple of interviews while I was there. And, um, yeah, so I called her quite a few times, um, before I actually landed in the territory. And can you tell me about how much work goes into sort of building that trust before you even get there? Mm. Because once you get there, that's a whole, whole other thing. But before you, like, how do you go about building trust with a community or with a person before you go out there? Because yeah, yeah showing up from the city... Um, you know, I, I've done that before and they sort of called me a seagull that, you know, and it was endearing, but they were kind of like, you fly in, you shit all over us and then you leave. You know, there's, it's, it's really hard to go into these communities, um, when they don't know you. Yeah. So how do you build that trust before you, before you even get there? Yeah. I think they're right in a lot of ways because not about you, of course, but, but I think a lot of reporters do do that because it is really hard to, um, and that's not sometimes the reporter's fault. It's because it costs a lot of money to get out to remote communities um, resources and a lot of places aren't prepared to pay for that so it's kind of um yeah it's a bit tough on both sides um, but yeah a lot of reporters do come in for the news particularly you know report on a story and leave and edit it back um, in you know wherever in Darwin or Sydney um, so we'll talk a bit about that as well consultation um, a bit later but yeah um, so I got there and yeah Angelina said to me you're the whitest person I've ever seen and I was like <laughs> I probably am you know um, she was like, you're going to burn out here like the sun. And I was like, like this is great sun. Yeah. But I think that's where it sort of started with us is like um, she's really like loves joking around and so do I. And so I think even on the phone we kind of got that vibe from each other. Um, but I think in any – even with the daily stuff, with Life Matters, you really have to have um, – you really have to be genuine about what I... Anyway, for me, I approach it in the sense that I genuinely want to know about this person, about this story, this issue. And so I hope that that translates across to them and they won't be like, oh, what's your real motive? Because that is my real motive, you know? Um, and so with Angelina, I was very aware that it happens a lot where reporters come in and take a story and leave. So I was saying they want to go a bit more in-depth, you know, with her and find out a bit more about her and her friends' lives... Um, and yeah, I think just being genuine, like not pretending to be a reporter and not like pretending to kind of, you know, say these things or, you know, I, I don't, I think that's the wrong way to go about it. Um, so I genuinely didn't really know, I knew sort of vaguely what I was wanting to go for with her. So I think as just upfront about that, I was like, I want you to tell me, you know, about your life and, um, and this is what it would be for. It would be for a multimedia story and, um, going about it that way. So that's, I think building trust is something like, in essence, you can't, yeah, you can't fake it, um, I think. And so, yeah, that, that's sort of where it's... That's how I approach stories, I think, and talent. And then you got there, you spent three days? Three days? Yeah. Okay, I had Because um, Angelina was sort of like an aside to what I went out there for, which was a story for 7.30. And um, I can't remember what else. There was, there was two stories for 7.30 I did when I was out there. Um, and so outside of that time filming that 
we did, yeah, I did interviews with her, yeah. And this is something we've spoken about, but you sort of, you, you were speaking to her over a few days, sometimes recording and sometimes not, but mm-hmm. it's sort of the eve, it's, you know, you kind of, you're leaving the next day, you're not sure if you're going to get it, and then and then you do, you, you end up talking and you have yeah. this really great conversation and it's that tape that goes on um, to be used in My Grandmother's Lingo. So can you, can you sort of talk us through your process there? Yeah, so it's kind of, it goes back to the question before as well about trust. Like I think, um, you know, there are some interviews where you rock up at the, at the front door, the typical like hearing the door open and stuff, but, you know, being rolling from the time that you get there. Um, but in this situation, I think it would be quite scary for her if I rocked up with like headphones, you know, microphone ready to go. She'd be like, who are you? Um, so for me, when I rocked up there, it was like nothing, no equipment, you know, just hanging out with her to really sort of figure it out in the first afternoon that I was there after we'd filmed for the day. Um, and she, yeah, we just kind of hung out and talked and, um, yeah, she really sort of, I could feel like her relaxing. The next day we were like, okay, we're going to, we're going to talk down by her, actually by the Billabong where she does do most of her recordings with the language center. Um, and it was beautiful. It was just an amazing, um, situation to be in and to be recording in, but she was really like, Angelina's, um, really right, very determined person and she was just like on point, you know, she was talking about the language centre, she was like, this is what we do and kind of not really, um, there was sort of no emotion in what she was talking about and so I was thinking, oh no, you know, like this is really kind of off a press release it felt like. Um, But she was doing her job, you know, she was promoting um, the work that she liked Um, and it did actually happen where her two friends couldn't meet us at the time, so that sort of happened, it changed up the story I was going for anyway. But Angeline was just um, quite an amazing person when I talked to her off mic. So I was like, oh, this would be great to capture her and her story. Um, but, yeah, when it came to actually recording on the first day, it was just, yeah, it was pretty, like, rigid audio, I suppose, which I think doesn't really work very well and didn't really feel like the Angelina who I'd met the day before. Um so, yeah, I think for – I was sort of sweating a bit thinking I'm not sure where this is going to go and we'd actually – I'd have gone out there to do um, – take some photographs as well and do an audio essay with it. She didn't want to be photographed, um, so I was like, okay, I don't know where this is going to end up. But, yeah, we ended up um, – I was like, I want to hang out with you, you know, tomorrow at some point. And it took all day. Like, she didn't pick up the phone, didn't message me back or anything like that. Um, so we were about to leave and it was sort of like five o'clock in the evening the day before um, and I ended up driving around to her place because she texted me and then we went to the art centre and we were hanging out talking about her uncle's artwork and I said, I really like the way you're talking about your family because it was true, that was that was like the, the part where she gets most passionate is about her family and her community and I said, can, we, um, can I record you in the car on the way back to your house? And she was like, yeah, you know, that's fine. Like, I'd be very happy to do that. And so we talked about it. And it was this kind of, like, um, beautiful situation where, like, you know, the sun was setting and she was really, like, reflective. And I think that's another point as well is, like, um, sometimes it's about timing and sometimes it's about sort of, you know, feeling the mood and if you're like, oh, this would be great. And being honest, saying, can I record you, you know, um, and ask you a couple of questions. So, yeah, it was just sitting like this kind of thing. Um, we're in the car and I just had the microphone down. Um, and, yeah, the other thing, really key point, I think, is that she generally is a good talker anyway, you know. So I think that's another key thing when you're doing pre-interviews is thinking how does this person tell their story? And I think often stories, you know, live or die based around how good the storyteller is. 
you know, I've tried many times. This is just going back a little bit, going on life matters. You know, I'd be like, oh, this is a great story, but the person was a little bit um, not great at telling it. And I thought, I'm, I think it's really important. We're going to do it anyway. Did it, and it was just, it just sinks, like, because that's, you know, it's only voice that you're rolling with. So, um, you know, there are ways around that with editing and things like that sometimes. But yeah, with Angelina, I think she was just such a, she's just such an amazing storyteller anyway, and the, the intonation in her voice as well. Um, that yeah, I think that that part she was in the right mood. It was the right setting. Yeah, she's really saying. On that point of setting, I mean, I've spoken about this with colleagues before mm. about recording in the car, and some people are like never record in the car because there's sounds, and if the radio might be going, and it's hard to edit because you know of, of the car, the noises yeah. of the car, and um, you know indicators and all these kind of things. But you speak to other people, and there is something. And I've spoken to mothers of teenagers who say that they have the best conversations with their kids in the car because you're not making eye contact you're both sort of looking ahead and when you are having difficult conversations or emotional conversations sometimes that's less intense so it's interesting that you you got that conversation when when you when you were driving and where you when you were in the car driving I'd be like like we're in the car I wouldn't (laughs) be like okay okay well I thought she might Um, be driving you might be recording yeah yeah, yeah yeah but even there's something about we were in the back seat. We were just like chilling in okay. the car because right. we'd just been in the art centre and I said like, can we, you know, we were hanging mm. in the back seat. But yeah, I think that is something, you know, if you are interviewing someone um, and they're a little bit nervous, like Angelina was, um, about talking about something personal, doing something is often, you know, a really good way of doing that, like direct um, attention onto something else rather than being like, how are you, Jess? You know, it's like, well, look at this crowd, Jess. You know, Jess might be more willing to say something about that, you know. That, that was sort of where it got with her. And I think, again, you know, some people are really willing to just go down the barrel and talk to you like that, and that's great. And that's, again, going into any situation, knowing who you're talking to, sometimes getting that from the pre-interview. But, yeah, with her, I knew she was a bit, um, yeah, nervous about it. So you just kind of have to pick the situation in that sense. Mm. Okay, we're going to um, watch a condensed version of My Grandma's Lingo. If you haven't watched it or experienced it, it is interactive, so you're best going home and you've, you, know, it's, you speak into it. This is not that. Um, it's a video, but it'll give you a really good idea of, of um, what Gina captured. is my grandmother language and I didn't get the chance to um, learn Mara in school but now I really want to learn my grandmother's lingo. In our community there's only three people can now speak Mara because language is our identity, right? And culture, totems, countries, and skin names. Our language is very important to us. It's dying, you know? It's fading away really slowly. That's why we're trying to keep it alive, you know? <laughs> 
it's like I can't back down now, you know. On my feet every morning, you know, you know, ready to go, you know, to work. Water, fire. I'm a part-time worker at the language center. Mainly we record language fluid speakers, teaching me all different words, you know, like animals, plants, and people, names, and yeah. Our quiet place is um, available, so it's more better than recording at the language center. Only just can hear the birds and the water, actually. Yeah. And yeah, it was pretty cool, actually, when I first learned my first sentence. Gora mingi. That's me and that's all now. My dad, if he would have been alive, and my grandmother, they would have been over the clouds. Gosh, my baby girl can speak Mara, you know? <laughs> It's great feeling, you know. It's amazing feeling. So you go out there, you've got one idea, it quickly becomes something else. You sort of realise that Angelina is is your story and that you want to base something around mm. her and her story. You get that tape and it's still a couple of years before you decide to use it. Yeah. Can you tell me about, um, by then you're working at, uh, online documentaries at the SBS. Yeah. And can you tell me about the process of pitching that and what your original idea was and then how um, the team sort of built it into into this concept? Yeah. So um, also, by the way, the sound and sound effects and mixing there is by Marty Peralta, who's there. I can't take credit for that part. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, and also... So, so I recorded it outside of the time that I did with the Ollie and I spoke with um, – originally I was going to, after I finished the scholarship, pitch it to the digital storytelling team as something if they wanted to commission it um, and the EP there had expressed interest in that but I ended up going to Triple J, doing a 40 years celebration with them and then I got a job at SBS so I was like, okay, I've got this cool interview with Angelina, um, how can I use it? And I spoke with Matt and stuff about that anyway um, from the ABC and ended up – pitching it to SBS. So um, I guess what I wanted to do with it now that I was at the online documentaries team at SBS is that you have to um, make it an innovative project. You know, so I was thinking about, okay, how can I do something that sort of pushes the boundaries a little bit in interactive documentary format? And um, given that I didn't really have any visuals to go with this, Originally, I thought, okay, we could do, like, um, some of the photos that I did have, we could use those as, like, the present when she talks about present tense and then we could do some illustrations sort of flashing back um, when she's talking about the past. And I was like, it could be an interactive animation and you could interact with that somehow, you know, skipping forward and back or something like that. That was a very loose concept. Um, and at SBS as well, there's so there's two parts in the sense you've got to do an innovation project. It has an innovation angle to it, so that was that aspect. And then it had to um, meet the charter as well there, which is telling stories, diverse stories, and stories about um, Torres, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So, and and also about issues that are really important for those communities. So in that sense, that was sort of why I pitched it to SBS. Um, and yeah, it really fit. They were really keen to go with it. But 
they actually were saying that isn't innovative enough, you know, because there is, um, you know, interactive animations out there, so what can you do with it? And sort of through a lot of meetings and brainstorming, um, we kind of pushed it to being voice activated because the, the, the essence of the story is about voice, you know, teaching and oral history and language. And so, yeah, we came, came around to that point eventually and being like, I don't know whether there's any kind of um, voice activated interactive animations. So like, I think we'll go with that one. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure. It's like every time you pitch yeah. to your place of work, they're like, that's been done before yeah. in the world. So <laughs> come back to us with another idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I know that there was a big team that worked on this and you just mm. mentioned Marty Peralta did the sound. Um, can you tell me more about that team, how you worked together and what the workflows were? So did, did your voice edit of Angelina lead it or did yeah. Marty have sound ideas and that led it? Like what, how did that work? Yeah, the voice led it because she's the character. She's the one telling you the story. She's the one pulling you into the screen. So that has to be really strong from the beginning. Um, and I think that plays across any format, whether you're working, you know, podcasts or TV or anything. Um, you know, who is the talent? The talent, you know, I don't like that phrase, but that's the phrase. Um, uh, who is that that's going to pull you in? So we had to make sure that was a really strong um foundation for the story you know they're the sort of foundational blocks that you build from you know if that's not if the story isn't strong and she isn't going to connect with you even just with the audio then it's pretty hard to so you can kind of decorate a little bit but having that kind of base makes it so much more powerful um, so from that point it's working with a creative developer on the team they have a team they're called the digital creative labs um, so there's an EP as well and I think that was where it started and it was sort of like, you know, you pitch the idea, the sort of broad idea and then the developer says, no, we can't do that, you know, that's how that, that's usually how it works. <laughs> they kind of go in and pull it back in. Um, but they also have like their ideas on it, you know, how could we change it to be this, you know, and you think, oh, that's cool, you know, and then it's kind of, that's how it evolves really, um, working with teams full of different people from different backgrounds. Um, but yeah, we kind of, that's the way it started, but also thinking, obviously it starts with that. It, that's essentially four, four and a half to five minutes of Angelina's audio. That's all it was. They asked me to edit two 40 minute interviews down into five minutes and I was like, Oh, that's so hard. Um, but yeah, so we did that and that's sort of where it built from. And then I split it up into the, what we thought could be chapters. Um, and then obviously we wanted um, an animator to work on it. And so um, I think it was through UTS actually, um, uh, an animator, uh, a lecturer here, recommended Jake. Um, Jake's um, an illustrator. He's an Aboriginal man as well. And he, yeah, he came on board. He just graduated from honours here. And yeah, he was amazing. Like pretty much what you see is like what he pitched us in a storyboard after hearing the audio, because for him it was like an incredibly personal um, story for him. Also his grandmother actually died during the production. So for him it sort of entered this, uh, yeah, it was a pretty surreal time. But yeah, what you see is, is, is Jake's, basically his original concept. But yeah, so animator as well, developer, EP. Um, and then obviously once we sort of structured it, we need mixing and sound to go with the visuals and that's where um, Marty came in and also we wanted a composer to really sort of bring together, you know, what could be a theme for it to really start it because um, I like thinking a bit cinematically about stuff, you know, it's kind of having the teaser thing at the top but then also how can you really sort of bring um, emotions out with the music and I think that's everyone sort of knows that but 
I thought, how could we do that with, um, yeah, with this project? And that's where we got Curran, who's um, a young artist as well, who just won Triple J, and he was, yeah, he's got a very personal connection to it as well. So is that they sort of your building blocks? You had um, Angelina's voice down to about four minutes. Yep. Then you got an illustrator on board who came up with the visuals. Mm-hmm. Then you had sound design, and then you had some music coming from Kieran. Yeah, it's really hard, like um, because there's no blueprint for this kind of stuff. Mm. So you sort of like have to play around and, and doesn't you know it can be a bit <coughs> stressful at times because people are like you know, what am I working from? And it's like, work from these storyboards and then that changes and then you're like, oh. Yeah, you know, it so sounds a little unwieldy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, but that's fun in some ways as well. A bit stressful, but fun. Um, and another big part of that is the the community and the community's yeah. role in that story and they were sort of there every step of the way. Is that right? Yeah. So this is kind of where it's a little bit different because um, usually I don't really give people like a say, you know, after, you know, you typically record it and then you do it um, and edit it because you don't want them influencing, you know, because if they hear it, they'll be like, oh, I don't want, I don't want to sound like that, you know, and that can really influence it. Um, but yeah, we, Angela, in this sense, I just didn't like the idea of always, you know, coming in, taking it away and editing it and it not sounding like something she was um, happy with um, because I think language, this is her, English is her th- fifth language or something she learned she knows like I think she's working on a seventh language at the moment so also that's a consideration she's talking a language that isn't her first language um so I wanted to make sure I didn't edit something out and she didn't mean to say it also she's the youngest in her family so she can't say certain things and she gets really excited in an interview and says something and then she's like she writes to me and says I shouldn't have said that you know my my uncle's gonna kick my butt you know that kind of thing so I'm like oh okay so in this situation, it's a bit different. And also working with NITV was a real eye-opener for me because the visuals, we showed them the storyboard and he, um, I think it was uh, Travis who works with NITV. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. but um, He was saying you should take it down to NITV, show them. Showed them, came back, and they were like, you can't. That symbol's really important for my community in Alice Springs. Um, and this is, you know, saying all this stuff to us. And Travis also said that anything that Angelina says and the way you make it and publish it, that permanently becomes a part of her story. Um, so it's a little bit different. It's culturally different um, in, that, in that sense that it does become a part of her narrative um, and the way in which she's seen in her community. So you have to be really careful with that, I think. Um, and there's a different kind of responsibility that comes with that. So I consider Angelina sort of co-producer in some ways she was very much part of like the process she listened to the first cut of the audio she listened she saw the storyboards she saw any change um and yet the other part of the consultation that was really lengthy was jake who he is an aboriginal man but he's not from that community it's very different even like you know angelina's community that's a kilometer north of her is entirely different to her community Um, and i think that diversity isn't often expressed in the media either um, but yeah, Jake, you know, is drawing these things, but that he drew something originally as a symbol that was a totem for her. And so obviously we couldn't use that. Um, but yeah, he ended up working, we ended up putting him in touch with two artists from the community who suggested symbols for him to use. Um, so that's a very lengthy process. So the consultation was really hefty in this. Um, Angelina's works three days a week, I think, at the centre. So she's just off email other than that, um, and doesn't, doesn't, I think it got to a point where she was like, 
I can't take any more calls from SPS. <laughs> so we had three days in a week where I could kind of like talk to her and say, is this okay, you know? Um, so yeah, it was a lot of back and forth, a lot of back and forth in that sense. But I think for this story, it really needed, because it's very personal for her, to language, um, which is everything uh, for her. So it was a really important um, part of it is the consultation. And I think for any any story about um, Aboriginal communities, I think it's important, yeah, that consultation process is really important. We're going to go to questions, but I have one last question for you. I'm curious as to um, how, you know, your digital work has sort of informed your audio making. You, it seems like you're doing more digital these days. Of course, there's audio involved in that. Um, will you go back to radio or audio and how does the, the visual stuff that you've been doing in the last few years sort of mm. inform that? I think um, knowing how to do digital stuff really gives you a flexibility in the sense like if you um, have a story and you think, oh, this wouldn't really work visually, this would be really excellent, you know, radio story or, or podcast, then that, you know, gives you that kind of flexibility and skill set. So I think um, that's sort of, I suppose, how it influences it in some way. But, yeah, I love, I love radio and audio. I think, like, there's a special thing about it where I really always loved the fact that you you have to listen to their story you can't judge people and what they look like you know you're only listening to what they're saying um which I think is um I don't think that happens anywhere else sort of so I think I think that's why radio is really beautiful um but yeah also um I suppose just knowing and this is the same thing that works across digital audio whatever you're working with is that less is more and often keeping it simple I think is is sort of those those lessons you learn in crafting stuff from the very beginning that applies through throughout, and you, that only comes from doing it heaps of times and stuffing up and you know just having fun with it. But yeah, I think it's not really separate if that makes sense. Like digital and audio aren't really separate; they're sort of becoming the same thing now. So it's always thinking about as well how it's going to appear wherever your audience is. So thinking about how your audience is going to um, get your content as well because. I know I meant we talked about this actually before where the lessons sort of from doing more digital work is um, SBS actually wanted it to only be a desktop experience, um, this story, um, because it's quite beefy in terms of what it you know uses from your computer. Um, but yeah, I think that now everyone is getting stuff in the mobile, you know, obviously podcasts, that's what's made it, you know, huge at the moment. So you know, really pushed for that, for, for a, a format to work um, on mobile. So, yeah, thinking where your audience is as well, I suppose that's like a lesson in that sense, um, digital to audio, yeah. That audience sort of first experience where you're thinking about how people are going to consume yeah. it and, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, and I think I remembered that from working on Life Matters. It was at a stage with Radio National where it wasn't probably as big of a priority. You'd do the whole radio story and then at the end you just quickly write something for online. Or, you know, it was like a really backward way of doing it, Um but, yeah, I think that's the sort of way the, the landscape at the moment is really important to think about how it lives digitally, you know. But also a quick note as well about I feel um, in talking about my grandmother's lingo, I don't really, I can't really say anything for Angelina's family or about her story. I'm talking about the production of the story. Angelina's stressed that as well, that I'm not talking about, you know, um, her family, her story. She can answer any questions you have about that. Um, I can only talk about the, the production of it. So, yeah, I just wanted to say that, yeah. Okay, well, let's ask some questions. 
Does anyone have something they want to ask Gina about any of her work? Yeah, I just wanted to know what you're going to be working on next. Ooh, um, <laughs> I'm on maternity leave, so I'm kind of, my brain is really... Um, working on a baby. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great, yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't really... Th I think my brain's not really there, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, I don't know. You're always kind of thinking about it. Like, I think, you know, when I'm even when I'm on maternity leave, there's stories that come up. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I kind of... this. I suppose that's it's a reflex. I file it away in this, like, folder on my email where I just think I just copy URLs into stuff that I think could be something interesting later. I don't know what. So, um, yeah, so I think in that sense... That's kind of, I suppose there's a whole stack of things that I'm interested in doing, but haven't yet, haven't even thought about them yet. Hi, Gina. I just was curious how long the whole production process took from pitching it to actually getting it out in the world. Yeah, so it was from, um, probably from pitching was like February, and then we took off two months because I went away and also the consultation was a month, I think at least. So that's February last year. Oh, yeah, so, Feb so it was from February and launched kind of, in August, yeah, so it was sort of, I don't know how many months that is, but, but yeah, sort of two months off in the middle of that too, and that's part-time, like I was working on um, a bunch of other projects, like for, you know, another interactive site and also a podcast and things like that in the mix, so um, yeah, part-time was probably about that. Jenna, uh, that was really inspiring um, oh, to hear that story. I just wonder, um, like I, I know you said, you know, you can't speak for... Um, the community and, you know, for the people involved and so on. But it struck me, one of the things we've been hearing today is that, you know, more and more you're actually taking the story back into the community where it came from mm. and having to be responsive to that community um, seems to be a bit of a change from the way we used to work, say, with broadcast radio where you did something it kind of went out there and you moved on. Um, what did you learn about that? Process. Do you think it made for a better, a better outcome in the end? For, yeah. yeah. I think um, it. If it was a story about, I don't know. It's hard because you know, if it's a story about where you're investigating someone about something, um, you know, it's like that's. I think for this situation, it's a very personal story, and I think it's a positive story as well. Um, there were points at which she was okay with me being like, we need to keep this in or, you know, us talking about that back and forth. Um, but, yeah, I think... I don't think it's... Yeah, I'm not sure, actually, because I totally understand and I would in certain situations with other stories not go back to the talent and be like, is this okay? Because, like, if it's a story where you're investigating someone about something, they're going to say, no, you know, <laughs> you need to change that because I'm going to look terrible. Um, but, yeah, for this situation in particular, it's a very delicate story um, in that sense and it can change her whole um, narrative. But, yeah, I don't know. It's tricky. It's that, I think it's just case by case. That's sort of how I would judge it. And in this situation, yeah, we needed to do that really hefty consultation. But, yeah, I don't, it's always that sense of, like, depends on the context, you know. Um, but, yeah. Hi, Gina. Thanks. Um, I'm from Darwin and run Spun Stories oh, cool. and I'm really interested about um, your reflections on responsibility 
um, and representation and an acknowledgement of the kind of co-production mm-hmm. process. So I know going into these things, often you don't even know it's going to be a co-production process and then it is. But what did you learn and what would you do differently if you started the project again around acknowledgement and mm. um, some of those areas of sort of responsibility? Yeah, I think it was sort of a bit of a fragmented process as well because it was such a... Angelina was like, when are you actually doing something? Because I'd been there <laughs> two years ago and then two years later I'm like, hi again. You know, she was like, who are you? Um, but, yeah, I think in that sense I would have done it, like, more directly afterwards, <laughs> hopefully. Um and, yeah, she did actually, coincidentally, she was in Wollongong for something else because she does talks and she's writing a book and she's amazing, you know. She's working with the academic um, who I spoke to in Wollongong. So she actually came back to SBS and I re-interviewed her again about some other um, parts, which I forgot to mention, actually. I should have mentioned that. Um, but just doing... It was actually more to get the matter words that you hear because we didn't have enough of those words with her. So that was primarily what that was about. But, yeah, I think that's sort of um, doing something sort of immediately afterwards and sort of being clear. I think being clear from the beginning what you're doing. You know, if you if you don't want to talk to them again afterwards, this is with anyone, you know, say that this is, you know, this is the way the interview process is going to go. I think it's just transparency. Um, so with her, I think I didn't really know what it was going to be, so I think it was really important afterwards to say this is what we think it's going to be. Are you cool with that, you know? Um, yeah, so I think that's what I would have done differently is sort of been hopefully had a better plan in the beginning, you know, of what it was going to be if I was going there for SBS to do an interactive documentary um, and saying that's what it was going to be and also, yeah, hopefully doing it um, sooner afterwards as well Um, just because that's quite hard to sustain that relationship, I think, over that longer period of time. Um, but yeah, I think it would have been really cool to do it in Darwin so she could have come, you know, and joined in meetings and, you know, stuff like that. That would have been great. Um, and it also would have cut down the production time too, because, you know, her being there or doing it in the community would have been really cool. Um, that would have been really, really cool. Yeah. I think that's probably the things I would have hoped for. Um, just as a follow to that, uh, this is kind of a wide question about funding. So you've just spoken about how much better it is to be in the community to be doing that, which is so true. Um, Do you think that, yeah, broadly with that funding, it's going to continue to be possible for reporters from some of the bigger corporations or even freelancing to be able to go out into communities and bring back these really important stories? I hope so. (laughs) Um, I think it's about – it's really hard because I think it's about the story. If the story is good enough, then, yeah, people will be like, yeah, we'll back it. But I don't – it's just the landscape at the moment. It's pretty tough in terms of funding and things. But, yeah, I'd hope so. But it seems like maybe if, if it's more of a commissioning model that's happening now, like maybe it would be through that process, you know, saying that I want to go out and do these things um, for this amount of money. Um, hopefully that – would be successful in that sense. But I think it's really hard and it's a big issue. It's a really big problem because um, – and I hope in some way that it sort of also helped Angelina in terms – she was really happy and proud of the story and she was like, I want to tell it more and, you know, um, she was interested in the production um, of some aspects. So hopefully, like – and also, you know, 
access to the internet and things like that. Hopefully people can tell their own stories rather than have journalists just come in and do it. Yeah, I can only say that I hope so because I obviously don't work for the ABC and I can't speak for SBS in terms of their future plans and things. Um, but but you, yeah. also, you did three stories while you were out there, so there's something about you know, yeah. sort of justifying the trip in a way and yeah. you, know, you got three really good stories in going out there. Yeah, yeah, so that was like... Yeah, and that, that's that same model. I pitched it to them and said, these are the two 7.30 stories that I want to do while I'm out there. Um, and, yeah, they said, yeah, we can go and do that that way. So I think it's sort of about hopefully it's tough because you're doing it from a distance trying to find the story and then justifying that way. The other way is if you just do it yourself, you know, and go out there and, like, spend some time um, and then find the stories that way. And hopefully if you were freelancing, then selling them. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's an answer for that. Yeah, unfortunately, I want to say yes. You know. Um, can I ask a question while the mic's roving that you might be able to answer, but Marty might be a better place to answer. Just you know, you've spoken about the illustrations and how much detail went into the accuracy around that. Mm. Um, the sound design. You know, there there are birds and there. You know, I'm wondering about the gathering of that sound and um, yeah, how that. I don't know if you want to answer I can that talk. Marty. Do you want me to answer it? We can, to... I can. Well, yeah, <laughs> if Gina really. wants to also get a mic. So I'm, yeah, I'm just wondering um, yeah, about no, the process there. He found a lot of sounds. Like, I recorded a lot of, like, found a lot of sounds. I recorded a lot of Atmos while I was out there, you know, like um, a lot of the sounds from – because I think that's also a general rule that everyone should, should know, hopefully, or, or should begin to do, is record at least, you know, two – I like to record, like, Five minutes of Atmos of where I've done the interview because there's amount of times I've gone back with two minutes of Atmos and I'm like oh it's like looping the same little bird and I'm like Ugh. how do you cover that up um but yeah so five minutes of that sound of where you are recording the interview so valuable um so yeah Marty had really terrible stuff to work with I think from me which was like two minutes here and there <laughs> two minutes here and there but also like he um I think he stitched together you know did a lot of foley for that like some of the stuff is actually like you know crunched up pieces of paper so and like, like lighting fires in your lounge room no, <laughs> no, no. but like um yeah it was sort of like um that kind of like just getting creative with sort of because jake's illustrations are really tactile i think as mm-hmm. well so sort of i think marty drew a bit of inspiration from that and sort of got creative in that sense but also got some birds from i had recorded some birds from the area and things like that so we got it down to that kind of detail as well because there's always that person and i'm sure people at radio national know as well and you recorded that that isn't that That's bird from that bird area from that region yeah. you know <laughs> so yeah Get the birds from the area <laughs> if you've got birds in the background. Yeah. I think we've got time for one more question if there's one. Massacre? Uh, thanks, Gina. That was great. I'm just wondering, and I don't know if you can answer this question, but if you had worked in the community, do you think your end product would have been different? Um, I'd say yeah. Yeah, and for sure. how do you think it would I think hopefully or maybe – because that's what they were saying. So it was like they wanted Jake to come up and stay with them, you know, um, so Jake could sort of – um, be inspired by the area you know I think it would have been different like that if Jake had a bit more immersion in that sense um, or we got just used the artists who from the community um, so yeah I think it would have been really different um, yeah I think it's always it would have been ideal to spend a bit more time there um, but yeah I think I can it's always hard to do the do that kind of theoretical idea but yeah I think it definitely would have been different who knows if, you know, it would have been um, 
great in a different way. Yeah. That was Gina McEwen talking to me, Jess Beneth, at the Audiocraft conference. And you should go watch My Grandmother's Lingo. Yep, it's pretty extraordinary. This session was recorded on the day by ABCRN and the whole series is produced by Beck Fari. If you want to hear more sessions like this, subscribe to our podcast. And you should follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Plus, we have a newsletter. You can sign up at audiocraft.com.au.